Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before, uh, before God that what I'm writing you is no lie. When I went to Syria and to Cilicia, I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they, are pray, and they praise God because of me. All right, I want you to imagine something right at the start here. I want you to imagine that you've moved to a new city or a new town, maybe even a new country. Your job is all settled, housing is all sorted out, and now it's time to find a church to be involved in. How are you going to go about that? What will be the important parts of that decision-making process? How will you figure out which church you're going to join? What's going to be your basis for assessing a church? I mean, let's face it, there are dozens of churches to choose from. Is it just like choosing a bank? I mean, they're all pretty much the same. It doesn't really matter. Just choose the one that's closest to you. Or is it like choosing a restaurant? Some people like spicy food. Some people like food a little bit more simple. Or is it like choosing a physiotherapist? You've got to find the one who's just right for you that you're comfortable with. Well, we start this morning to look at Paul's letter to the Galatians and the overwhelming thing that Paul wants to stress in these chapters 
is that what you believe matters. What a church believes and teaches is important. There are things in the Christian life and the church life that are really are just a matter of personal preference. And music styles, the style of the building, uh, even the style of the church services, those things in many ways are just personal preferences. But when it comes to what you believe, what you believe about how you're made right with God, what you believe about how you're forgiven, what you believe about Jesus, that's not a matter of personal opinion or preference. What you believe matters. In fact, what you believe, Paul wants to say, can be the difference between eternal life and death. Now, when we open up to the New Testament anywhere, we need to remember that this was written to a very different world to the one that we live in today. Uh, Sometimes the issues can seem distant and remote uh, to our lives. And and let's face it, Galatians was written about 2,000 years ago. Uh, There's a quote that I love from John Stott. John Stott was one of the church leaders in the UK for many, many years uh, and a great scholar and commentary writer. And he said this about reading New Testament books. He said, we find ourselves in an alien world which long ago ceased to exist. In consequence, the Bible feels old, sounds archaic, looks obsolete and smells musty. I love that description. But I think John Stott would also be the very first person to recognise that the Bible has a timeless message. It's timeless because people don't change. And it's timeless because ultimately God doesn't change. The issues that they struggle with in Galatia will be very similar to the issues that we struggle with today. They won't be exactly the same and we need to recognise the differences But the answers that Paul gives to the Galatians are answers that we need to keep hearing today as well. So as we read, we need to take care, first of all, to understand the issues that Paul is talking about in their context in the church in Galatia. See, without a doubt, the biggest issue that the early church had to face was this transition from Judaism to Christianity. Christianity started, in a sense, as a little breakaway group from Judaism, and the headquarters of Christianity was there in Jerusalem. All the early converts of Christianity were Jewish people, and certainly the early leaders of this movement were Jews. But as the gospel spread outside of Israel, all of that started to change, Gentiles were coming to faith in Jesus and there were Gentile churches being formed right throughout the whole Roman Empire. So now there are some very big questions that we need to answer. Do the Gentiles need to be circumcised? Do they have to keep the Sabbath? What about the Jewish food laws? See, all of that was part of the old covenant and Jesus has come to bring in a new covenant, a covenant that's defined by his once and for all sacrifice. A covenant that's defined by living under the lordship of Jesus, not living under the laws of Moses. A covenant that's marked by God giving us his Holy Spirit, writing his law on our hearts. But I don't think they even realised just how radical these changes were going to be. Changes that would come with this new covenant. What Jesus has done means that the 
old covenant, the old Jewish way of doing things is now superseded. The old covenant, the one that was made with Moses, is now obsolete. For those who'd grown up as Jews, this was not going to be an easy thing to get your head around. It meant some big changes in your life as well. And it meant that you needed to appreciate how those changes would affect other people. There'd be a number of people here this morning who would remember the introduction of decimal currency in Australia. Uh, a lot of people struggle to, to figure out what we do with these old coins that we've got half pennies and pennies and threepence and sixpence and, and shillings and florins. So where does that all equate to the new currency? And, and people struggled for many, many years. And especially the older you were, the more that you had actually lived with the old currency, uh, the harder it was to change. A friend of mine, his very elderly mother made the comment, why don't they just wait for all the old people to die and then bring in the new system? Which seems to have an element of logic to it. I just can't quite see what the flaw would be. So when Jesus came, for God's people, there were big changes that needed to take place. A change in how it is that you become part of God's people in a sense. A change in how it is that you live in that relationship with God. And this is serious stuff that they're talking about. And it's a struggle that we actually read about in every letter of the New Testament. Some of them, like this letter to the Galatians, it's entirely about that issue. But Romans is probably almost entirely about that issue as well. For the Galatians, this is the central issue that Paul wants to address in this letter. There were Jewish Christians who'd come to Galatia and they were insisting that Gentiles needed to abide by Jewish food laws and other Jewish practices. They're saying that to really live the way that God wants you to live, you not only need to believe in Jesus, but you also need to effectively become Jewish. They were called Judaizers. And what they'd failed to understand was that Christianity was the fulfilment of Judaism, not some little add-on to Judaism. In fact, Judaism has been superseded and made obsolete by what Jesus has come to do. The old Jewish system has now reached its end. It's been fulfilled and there is no going back. In fact, trying to add Judaism to faith in Jesus is only going to undermine what it is that Jesus has come to do. And this is the issue that's going to dominate this letter to the Galatians. The issue in the book of Galatians is summed up pretty much in the opening verses. If you know Paul's letters, you know that they all start with the same kind of a format. It says who he is, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. And then there'll be a little grace thing where he says, you know, grace and peace to you. And then the next line will always be something like, we always thank God for you or praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or I thank God every time I remember you in my prayers. But that's not what we see here. And it tells us something about Paul's tone in writing this letter. Look at the first thing that he wants to say. Verse number six. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. No pleasantries. No, we always thank God when we remember you in our prayers. He launches in and says, I am stunned that you are turning away from Jesus so quickly and so easily. 
Now, he knows exactly what's happened. If you look at verse 7, he says, evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. This is the Judaizers. They've come to Galatia and they are twisting the message about Jesus. They're not throwing it out completely. They would have said that faith in Jesus was important. They would have said Jesus is the Messiah. They don't want to, they don't want to ditch that message. Now, can I say we see this sort of thing happening in Christian churches around our world today? They'll say, yeah, faith in Jesus, that's how you're made right with God. But you also need to do this. And there will also be these things that you'll be required to do. They pervert the gospel by modifying the message, just tweaking it a little, just adding a couple of other things in there. They won't throw the message about Jesus out. They'll keep that. They'll just want to expand on it and suggest that there are other things that need to happen as well. And that's what's happening here. The Judaizers are saying, look, what Paul said is really great, but he didn't give you the whole truth. He's only given you half of the message. Faith in Jesus is wonderful, and we're saying you should do that, but you also need to adopt the laws of Moses and the practices that were given to him by God on Mount Sinai. So Paul starts out by clarifying in these first two chapters, he wants to talk about the authority that he has for what he's actually saying. And he stresses it even in the very opening verse. Have a look at what it says in chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul isn't preaching some message that's been cooked up by men. He's preaching the message that was personally given to him by Jesus. And that's exactly what he says again in verse number 14. uh, Sorry, verse number 11. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. See, Paul's crystal clear about his role as an apostle. Being being an apostle was a unique position in the early church. In fact, a unique position. Apostles were appointed directly and personally by Jesus. Apostle literally means someone who's been sent, a messenger. But they're a messenger who has authority to act on that person's behalf. Whoever has sent them has entrusted them with complete authority to speak on their behalf. I suppose we have a similar thing today in our world. If you've been appointed as power of attorney for someone, you can make decisions on their behalf. You can go and sign documents on their behalf. You have full power to act completely on their behalf. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's been given power of attorney to act on Jesus' behalf. Now, Paul's not boasting about the position that he has. He's simply saying that the message that he preached is the one that Jesus gave him. See, the Judaizers seem to have been saying that, yeah, Paul's message is great. It's just a little bit inadequate. Just needs a few more things. And they seem to be suggesting that if Paul had checked with head office in Jerusalem... They would have said, no, 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 that's not all you need to say, Paul. There's a few more things that you need to add. 
They were saying, if he'd come with the complete message from head office, faith in Jesus would be great, but you'd also have some rules that you'd need to obey. So what Paul does in this opening chapter is give a very detailed account of his call as an apostle and also the visits that he made to Jerusalem. But have a look, have a look at verse 15 of chapter 1. The first thing that he wants to talk about is the fact that he didn't visit Jerusalem. Look at what he says, verse 15. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before me. I didn't go to the so-called head office. I didn't need to go to head office, Paul's saying. I got my instructions directly from Jesus. And then he goes on to say in verse 18, yes, I did go to Jerusalem. In fact, I went up there twice, but not to get approval for the message that I was preaching. In fact, Paul says, if you flip over to chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, I was given the right hand of fellowship by the leadership in Jerusalem. They encouraged me to keep doing what I was doing, to keep preaching this message about faith in Jesus to the Gentiles. But I want you to notice one really important thing in these two chapters. Paul offers criticisms in these chapters of the Galatians. He offers criticism of the Judaizers and he even offers criticism of the Apostle Peter which is pretty remarkable. But have a look at the criticisms with me. Chapter 1, verse 6. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. And then verse 7, he's criticizing of the, criticism of the Judaizers. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion, are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And then he criticises the Judaizers that he met in Jerusalem, chapter 2, verse 4. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. And then finally he offers his criticism of Peter, where he says this in verse 14. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of all of them. Now, did you notice that he uses the same measure each time? He uses the same stick to measure everything and everyone by. It's the gospel message of Jesus. That's what matters. And that's what Paul uses when he measures what other people preach or what they teach or what they say, or how they live. And Paul says that the Galatians can even use that same measure on him if they would like. Go back to chapter 1, verse 8. Paul says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that we preach to you, let them be eternally condemned. Now we need to be clear about what this gospel message is. You can see what Paul's saying there in chapter 2, verse 15. Paul says somewhat sarcastically, chapter 2, verse 15. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. 
So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. Now, there's two fundamental things that Paul wants to say in there about the gospel. Acceptance by God comes only through faith in Jesus, not by your works, not by your obedience. To think that you can be accepted by God through obeying the law, well, Paul wants to say that's actually an affront to God's grace and it's an insult to the death of Jesus on the cross. The Judaizers are saying that you have to add the law to what you believe. And Paul says, no, the message is justification by faith alone. Adding anything to it, well, then it ceases to be faith alone. It becomes another gospel, a perverted message, Paul says. And Paul is going to stand up to anyone who wants to preach another message, to claim that there's more that you need than simply faith in Jesus. That's not always going to go down terribly well in our society today. We live in a world where we're always on about tolerance and acceptance and that's the mantra of our age. So to say that there are some people who could be wrong, well, that's not going to meet with a good response. I'm all in favour of being polite in the way that we communicate, but what Paul's saying here is that the gospel is the measure of all things and we need to be ready to stand up for that gospel. What we believe matters and we need to make sure that we are committed to the truth about Jesus. I often wonder how and why so many Christian groups can become so led astray. You hear stories about cults and strange organisations where we lived up on the north coast. Uh, There was a great church that started up, uh, a fantastic group of people who loved Jesus and wanted to see other people come to know him. I talked to one of the guys who was the original pastor of that church And he said that by the end, he said it was definitely a Buddhist group, but I don't think that there was much Christianity left in it. I mean, how how can that happen? How can you drift that far away? Not sure if you recognise this face. David Koresh is his name. He actually became a Christian in a Baptist church before joining up with a Seventh-day Adventist church and then joining a little breakaway group from the Seventh-day Adventists called the Branch Davidians. 76 people were killed in a siege in the compound in Waco, Texas. The Branch Davidians still around and they still think that David Koresh is going to return, come back from the dead to rescue them and to save them. You might recognise this face, Jim Jones, famous from a, a story that happened down in Jonestown, Guyana. He was the leader of a church, but he actually started as a Methodist minister. Started in a pretty normal mainline kind of church, but gradually drifted away from Christianity, formed his own cult and managed to convince 914 people to drink poison in a suicide pact down in Jonestown. Now, again, I look at that and I think, how in the world could that happen? How could you be a Methodist minister and stray that far away? But can I say, probably not hard to see how that can happen. See, I think there are lots of people in churches today 
who really don't give too much thought to what it is that they believe. So when someone comes along who sounds passionate, and Jim Jones was certainly one of those people, and so was David Koresh, stand up in front of people and and you can be convincing, well, people will be willing to believe you. But let me come back to the question right at the beginning. How do you choose a church to be involved in? Well, the answer is, are they committed to the truth about Jesus? Do they measure things by the gospel message? Do they hold firmly to the truth of the gospel, not only believing it, but living it out as well? As we look at Galatians over these next couple of weeks, I hope that we all have an opportunity to be clear about what it is that we believe, clear about the truth of the gospel, and not only clear about the truth of the gospel, but also clear about what that will look like when it's lived out in our lives.